All right, church, let's go ahead and uh, take our seats. We have uh, some wonderful assistants here uh, handing out a, a, a little, little something uh, for you. Actually designed by David Lynn back there, the talented um, and uh, studly uh, David Lynn. Uh, so, man, thanks for your work on that. Uh, it looks, looks awesome. Um, man, I'm, I am, uh, I'm, I'm excited to uh, get the chance to uh, uh, open God's Word together uh, this morning. So uh, I'm going to pray uh, real quick as, as the, the papers are being passed, and uh, we'll jump in. So, um, Father, you are good and faithful and true, and your Spirit does uh, things through the Word that we do not expect uh, or we can imagine. And so take this time together. Um, meet with us, change us, uh, and give us ears to hear. Amen. Well, I want to start by uh, thanking uh, Dan and the... Uh, the session, the elders, I'm a new Presbyterian, is it like the, the elder session, session, the, yeah, the session, yes, the elders, yeah, the, the session, just the session, okay, I'm getting there, guys, I was meant to be one for my entire life, but now I'm just kind of, you know, um, figuring it out, uh, but no, it, it, this really is a, uh, a privilege, uh, an honor uh, to be entrusted uh, with uh, opening God's word uh, here with, uh, with, with my church family. And uh, especially uh, getting the chance to preach in uh, the middle of uh, this Repent and um, Be Loved sermon series. Now, there's a lot of new faces uh, in the crowd. Some of you guys are on your first lap with us, which is exciting. We kind of have a growth season in the church. And every year, we spend about a month and a half focusing on one of the core values of our church. Uh, so you guys know we're on this mission uh, to be loved and love. And what drives this mission uh, is our cherishing of three core things. One... We cherish the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two, we as a church value, we cherish discipleship of Jesus, following after Jesus and leading others to do the same. And three, we cherish community, being the family of God together, sent to reach this community of Little Rock that we're a part of and sent to. And we spend a month and a half every, I mean, let's be honest, the fall is really the start of the year, right? We're kind of getting things gathered. We, we, we spend a month and a half at the beginning of, kind of the functional year focusing on this value of discipleship. Repent and be loved. And that comes out of the way that, that Dan defines discipleship for us. I know, I know there was a 201 this weekend, right, John Mark? 201. Who, anybody here do the 201? Uh, remember 201? Um, so in 201, you may remember, uh, Dan defines discipleship not as being a really good person and doing the right thing, um, but, but Dan defines discipleship as a living relationship with your creator by his grace, not your perfection, walking with your God by doing two things over and over and over again. You guys remember what he says? Come on, Presbyterians. And believe. Repent. <laughs> and believe. That's right. Those are our steps of being a disciple of Jesus. And repentance isn't turning away from godlessness to godliness. Oh, I shouldn't do the bad things. I need to do the good things so that God loves me. No, repentance is turning away from godlessness to God himself. Repent and believe. And as we turn to him, as we see Jesus Christ and know him, we believe on him. We believe um, in him. Uh, and Paul summarizes, and I need to get my timer out so I don't get too crazy with the cheese whiz. Um, Paul summarizes what it means to know the living God in Romans 1.17. Summarizes really all of scripture, and he says, the righteous, those who are rightly related to God, live by trust. And you probably heard it, live by faith. The Greek word there, pistis, is actually better translated, live by trust. So how do I do that? 
how do I lead others to do that? Live by trust. And that's what we focus on during this month and a half. Repent and be loved. Now, God has created us all to live in this relationship with him. With that trust at the very core, it's the fulcrum of our relationship with our God. You want to know what God wants of you? You want to know what God wants for you? God wants you to trust him. That is what he is after. And he has created each of us for that very purpose. We are created as needful beings in the very core of our souls. Every single one of us has deep soul needs that are meant to be filled by somebody else. We can't meet them ourselves. And there's four core needs that we talk about. One is the need for acceptance, of approval of people, to be accepted. Two is the need for comfort. We were actually designed to enjoy this creation. Three is the need for control, the, the need for things to go according to plan. And four is the need for significance, uh, the, the need to have influence, to be recognized. And the problem that we have in our lives, where our sin comes from, where the brokenness of this world comes from in our, in, in our reality, is the fact that universally, with these universal needs, every single one of us, over and over and over again, take these needs that somebody needs to meet, and we trust in something or someone, a created being, rather than God himself, to fulfill that. And the scriptures say that every time we do that, disaster occurs. The Bible says that there is a root-fruit relationship in our lives uh, where the reactions to our circumstances display with 100% accuracy what we are actually putting our trust in for those core needs. Uh, this this uh, uh, theme throughout the scriptures is really distilled in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10, which is what that diagram is, is being drawn from. This was something that was life-changing for, for me in understanding what discipleship looks like, so I wanted to share it with you. And in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10, it says, uh, Cursed is the man who trusts in man who makes his flesh his strength. He's like a thorn bush in the desert that as the heat comes, he's like a dry, scraggly thorn bush, like just bearing fruit of death. But blessed is the man whose trust, who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a fruit tree uh, planted by streams of water that bears fruit in every season. Two trees, same circumstance, completely different outcome, all about where they are rooted. And the power of that picture is that I can know that wherever I have bad fruit in my life, wherever I respond to my circumstances in a way that's not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I know with 100% certainty that is an opportunity for me to repent. An opportunity. Like Dan was just saying, as we were going in our time of confession, like there's this temptation to be like, oh, I gotta repent, or I wanna hide this from God. No, guys, the, the Christian life sings, God becomes alive when repentance for us becomes a chance to know him, to turn into him, to encounter in him his presence, his power, his grace, his mercy, and his love. Where you have bad fruit, you got a bad root, and that's your opportunity to turn away from trusting in something or someone that's bringing you death and turn to Jesus himself, our source of life. Repent and be loved. 
Because love is the process of meeting needs. And my primary issue in my life is that I stink at actually letting God love me. He is perfect in the provision that he has made in Jesus Christ for these deep needs of our soul. He remains perfect today, and he is not only perfect, he is continually willing to satisfy your deepest longings if we would fight to believe that and functionally actually act like we believe it and trust him in those things and see that good fruit no matter what the circumstances are. So how is God the satisfaction? How is Jesus the satisfaction of comfort, control, um, uh, acceptance, and significance? That's what we preach through every year to lift Jesus high, remind ourselves so that we are equipped to fight to believe that our satisfaction is found in him. And I get a chance today to preach through our core need of significance, this longing for influence, uh, for recognition. And we live in an age over the last, what, this, these things are only like 12 years old, right? Uh, 15, something like that. They ain't old, all right? Um, but this paradigm-shifting device has unleashed, like no other time before, this absolute explosion of the howling need that humans have for significance. And we are literally tethered uh, to these significance illusion devices that we carry with us everywhere, that I am the king of the world. Because with this device in the palm of my hand, the servants at Amazon deliver the riches of the world to my doorstep never in longer than two days, or I'm very frustrated. <laughs> the entire world can see pictures of me at a baseball game, can see pictures of me at the Eiffel, Eiffel Tower, pictures of me at the Grand Canyon, because it's me. And the world can know that tonight I chose to have the fettuccine Alfredo. Any of this desire to be recognized, to have influence, to, to, to throw ourselves out into the stratosphere, to, to, to be known and responded to, to have influence is not satisfying. We see this everywhere, that our world is falling apart even as we have the chance to be known by so many more. And the problem, though, is not the fact that we need to be significant. The problem is what we put our trust in to gain it. See, workaholism, gossip, pornographic lust, jealousy, insecurity in relationships, uh, midlife Corvettes, like all of these can be tied uh, to, to our looking to things for significance rather than trusting the fact that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ all that we need for free. So the answer is not to surrender your desire for significance. Uh, the, the answer uh, for this need of your soul is to stop trying to achieve it and receive it from the grace of God to the living person of Jesus Christ. Here's the, here's the good news. That Jesus gives you his significance for free. That's the good news. And that's what we get to talk about today. Yes, he gives us his significance in his incredible love of us, his perfect love and perfect knowledge of us. That is such an encouraging, amazing thing that I am fully known and fully loved, and that is profound, but, but our significance goes even beyond that from him. And we're, today we're going to talk about the deep, full, true meaning of our significance in him. We're going to talk about the moment of our significance 
And then we're gonna talk about the means of our significance. Three points in your bulletin, alliteration, I did my job. So to take a look then at uh, these things, we're gonna take a look at a passage in Philippians. And if you've got your Bible or an app, Philippians 1, 29, 2 through 13, or one, when you go past the, 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 the books it, or chapters, it messes me up. Philippians 1, 29 through 2, 13 is what we're gonna be looking at. And the thing I realized as I was, I was preparing for, for the sermon is that really the entire book of Philippians is a fantastic significance manual. It's a letter that Paul is writing from a Roman prison, perhaps on death row. He doesn't know. He, he doesn't know if he's going to get the death penalty. And what he is saying is, guys, this is awesome. Join me in what I'm in prison for because it is the only significant thing that you can live your life towards. Paul, at the beginning of this letter, has just gotten done talking about his imprisonment and and inviting everyone to stand united together, to strive together along with him for the sake of the gospel of Jesus' kingdom. And here's the reason why he gives. Here's what he says in in verse 29. He says, uh, this is our meaning of our significance, by the way. If you look, this is meaning. Four, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, which you're gonna need because you've just been told that you're gonna suffer, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, uh, sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And now the means of your significance. Paul says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, since Jesus emptied himself, humbled himself, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, since Jesus is in charge of everything, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, and that's our moment, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Guys, the meaning of our significance in Christ is that we are rescued, uh, shaped, brought into the course of our lives for the sake of Christ. Now, we may have heard that kind of phraseology a lot, but the depth of that declaration of Paul is literally infinite. And to get at the true meaning of our significance, we have to understand the words in this phrase. And Christ is kind of like the Inigo Montoya word of Christianity, right? You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. 
Now, now, in Christ, we say, well, Jesus Christ, it's kind of his last name. Jesus Christ, it's kind of like the way we tag him and get, be like, that's the guy. Bunch of guys that say they can forgive your sins, but no, the Christ, the tag guy, the, that guy that, that's the guy. He's the Christ. You can trust him, and you'll actually get forgiveness. That's, that's kind of how we understand usually the, the name Christ, but, but that is not what Paul intends when he is writing about us suffering for the sake of Christ as the meaning of our significance, and that is certainly not what his first century audience would have heard when he's using the title Christ. That title, that office given to Jesus of Nazareth alone is a title of authority, of kingship, of sovereignty, and our uh, significance is wrapped up in him and understanding just who he is. And to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. I promise I will be brief. Genesis 1 we kind of know, most of us, what Genesis 1 is all about, right? It's the creation account. God speaks and things happen. Well, you can actually read Genesis 1 through the lens of authority. Genesis 1 is God being king. Yes, he's speaking things into existence, which is evidence of his power, but it's God commanding and those commands being obeyed. Let there be light and there was, not bad for Presbyterian, there was light. Man, the authority of God is honored and responded to. That is what the scriptures come to call the kingdom of God. And it's a reality. Anywhere that the authority of God is recognized, responded to, and submitted to, God is in control. He reigns. It's his kingdom. And wherever God is in control, life happens. Let there be life. And there was life. Let, let the waters and the seas and all, all the let theirs, and it happens, and it's always order out of chaos. And in this kingdom of God, in this kingship in Genesis 1, he then, as he's created the earth through his commands, does something crazy. And what God does at the tail end of Genesis 1 is he makes man and woman in his image to share in his kingship, in his dominion, and through this humanity then extend his life-giving rule to the rest of creation. He says this to the man and woman. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over every living thing. And that statement is just as efficacious, fancy church word for, is just as action bringing. It has the effect as let there be light. And God in declaring these things, have dominion, be fruitful and multiply is doing three things. One, he is ordering reality for the rest of history. Have dominion. What he is saying in his sovereignty, and he is completely sovereign. He's completely sovereign. I'm saying that again. He is completely sovereign. But in that sovereignty, he is saying that the course of history is going to be worked through the decisions, the actions, uh, the wills, as God is working sovereignly of humanity. The second thing that he's doing is he's limiting himself. God is the only thing that can limit God, and he is binding himself in sovereignly ceding some of this absolute <laughs> dictatorial control to humanity. It's a self-emptying, the first one we see. And finally, it's a generous gift. If, if grace is unmerited favor, this is the first act of grace in the scriptures. That God, to these created beings that we see in Genesis 2, are made of dirt, gives them dominion and authority, gives them a mission with him, and crowns them with honor. 
as the psalmist in Psalm 8 says. So with this then in Genesis 2, we see how this relationship is supposed to, 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 to pan out, and we see in the center of this relationship where God using humanity to rule the world and bring his life to the world has again at the center of that relationship that dynamic of trust. That's what those two trees are about. The tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it is their opportunity to trust. And we know what happens in Genesis 3. It all falls apart. Deceived by the serpent, the man and the woman think that they can be like God by taking the, 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 the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good, new, good and evil. That was the wrong sequence, but the bad tree. You know what I'm talking about. And what happens is that even though they were already made in the image of God, they think they have to provide their needs for themselves, and the trust in the king is broken, and sin wrecks it all. Shame, blame, separation, fear, death, all crash into this world in Genesis 3. But here's the thing. The plan in Genesis 3 never changes, just the pain. So as God is showing up in Genesis 3 to deal with the, the, the effects of this sin, he addresses the man, the woman, and the deceiving serpent. And he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You guys see that? That the promise of God's life-giving kingdom through a man is still reaffirmed. That is still the plan. God's work in and through humanity. And so then the rest of the story in the Old Testament come, becomes about who is this seed? Who is this man that is gonna come and undo all of the serpent's work? We see that this offspring, uh, then, as the story develops, is going to be from the family of Abraham, uh, that he will bless the whole world, that he will ultimately become a king like one of Abraham's descendants, David, and, 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 and kings uh, in that time were always anointed. That's how you knew they were a king. They were anointed. You're waiting on a king, an anointed one. In Hebrew, the word is Mashiach. I think you, put the, you gotta say it that way. Messiah is where we get that word. Translated into uh, uh, to Greek, uh, Christos, where we get Christ. And this anointed one, this king that was coming, then through the prophets, we start getting very clear pictures of just what this king under his reign was going to do. There are seven things that, that, that uh, we are told that this king is going to do in his kingdom. Now, this may seem like a, a seminary list that you're like, trust me, pay attention. This is going to connect directly to your significance. The first thing this king is going to do is that he is going to spiritually renew humanity by grace through their re repentance and belief. Okay, that's pretty familiar. We got that. That's, that Jesus, he, I go to him for repentance. I'll be renewed spiritually, reconciled. Got it. Oh, but wait, there's more. Number two. This king was going to establish moral value in the values in the lives of all humans. What if our world just did the Ten Commandments? That would be pretty awesome. He was going to bring peace, and not just the absence of violence, but the presence of justice. He was going to govern society for the flourishing of all people, a real government with real world abundance for people. That he was going to renew this physical world, both in the life-giving potential of creation being unlocked and through the healing of disease that he was gonna to gather to himself a group of people called by his name under his rule. And finally, he was going to so display the greatness and glory of Yahweh, the God of Israel, that Yahweh would come to be worshiped across the entire world. And here's the thing. When Jesus of Nazareth 
this homeless Jewish carpenter shows up on the scene and declares that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and takes on himself the title of Christ as it's given to him by Peter, he does not back off of any one of those expectations. He doesn't come in and say, hey, I know that you were, you know, expecting kind of creation renewal and, you know, uh, valleys becoming mountains and everything, but I'm just here to forgive sins. That's it. That's it. I'm just, I'm just the forgiveness guy like later with heaven. No, no, no. He leans fully into those expectations, and then God, by the Spirit, through his apostles, drives it even deeper. Yes, I have come to do these things, and I am doing these things. And you know what was scandalous about his proclamation of the kingdom? Jesus said that the way that he was going to do this was not by a unilateral decree, but he was going to use the weakest and the poorest among us to establish his reign. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what we see developed throughout the rest of the New Testament is that the king, Jesus the Christ, doesn't just delegate some of the kingdom labor. You need to go do that work over there. I kind of need that done. No, no, no. What the king does through his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension, and sending of the spirit is he unites himself to those that would turn to him in belief for rescue, to then by the spirit dwell in us and work in us, through us, with us for his kingdom's advance. And not just as auto, you know, automo- autonomous robots, like as I will do the, you know, your, no, no, he is using your intellect, your skills, your desire in this living relationship with him for his kingdom advance. So when we read in the New Testament, the proclamation of the apostles that you are in Christ this king who's advancing his kingdom, that you are the body of Christ, the physical manifestation of his kingdom advance, that you are united with him, seated with him in the heavenlies, what we are declaring is that you are the means of the Christ's mission. Your significance is that you are the first best way that the forgiveness, peace, Justice, renewal, provision, love, and good news of Jesus the Christ will be given to your world. You live for the sake of Christ, what he's currently accomplishing. Think about what he's currently doing, these seven things. Currently, he is spiritually renewing people through repentance and belief. What is your response to him? Are you calling others that same repentance and belief? Right now, the Christ is establishing moral values among humanity. Are you doing right and leading others to do the same? Because you get to. Right now, what Jesus is doing is he is bringing peace, the presence of justice. Are you advocating for others who need help? Because you get to. He right now is governing society for the flourishing of all people. Man, are, are you involved in the governance of, of your home? Are you involved in this uniquely American opportunity to be part of the political process, part of the government? Because with Jesus, you get to. Now, are, are you currently right now is also renewing the physical world. And you're like, well, I'm out on that one. I can't do any of those miracles. And that's above my pay grade. No, no, that actually is the primary thing that you every single day get to engage in with Jesus. 
what is your vocation? What is your job? But to unlock the potential of this creation, bring those elements together for, for the ordering of blessing other image bearers of God. Whether you're a fry cook, a, a doctor, or an accountant, those are this, that's you working with Jesus to bring the potential out of creation, to renew it and give the gift of life. And then what is prayer? But you asking things in the name of Jesus that he would do those things, joining him in his healing of disease, the renewal of creation. God, as we get to because of the gracious gift of Jesus every single day, that is our significance. And God's gathering himself, a people to himself, this church, to get to love, serve, know one another as Jesus built his kingdom. But finally, the worship of Jesus throughout the entire world. You are plan A for the glory of God where you're at. Now, that's, that's a lot. Oh, I'm not doing any of those things. Maybe one thing. No, I'm not doing any. Nope, I'm not doing any of those. What do I do? Be encouraged. Two reasons. One, your significance is not in the amount of kingdom stuff you do but the stewardship of what Jesus has called you to do and just what you are called to do. Paul says, work out your own salvation. You're not Dan. You're not Rachel. You're not John Mark. You are you with an individual gift, calling, background, and things that a king has given you to do for the advance of his kingdom in your world, and your stewardship and faithfulness to that is where your significance is and where Jesus is found and where life is. Do not be overwhelmed. And number two, this brings us to the moment of our significance, and that moment is now. Nowhere but now. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear, and trembling. When we think about significance, especially significance in things and people, we tend to think about either things in the past, those glory days, such as another white boy, glory days, right? Or, 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 or we, we think about things in the future that one day when my life will really be held together. Our significance is neither in the past nor in the future, but only now. That should free you. Only now, thus time bound dirt creatures is the only moment where we can live into the significance that's gifted to us in the living person of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel of the kingdom locates us firmly in the present. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough troubles of its own. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Because Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection has covered my past. My sin is forgiven. It is taken away. There's no shame or failure that encumbers me. And he holds my future because he is alive to reign as a good king. And that frees me to be here. Nowhere but here. No when but now. Because now is the only place where we can encounter the king. Now you are qualified by the means of his life, death, and resurrection. Doesn't matter what you did last night. Now you are qualified to be the means of the kingdom advance. Now you are placed here by his sovereignty with the decisions you made, the failures, the missed opportunities, uh, the things that were done to you. But, but, but now you are placed exactly where you need to be uh, for the kingdom of Christ to bring life to your world. And, and, and now... You have an indispensable role to play in your world around you because of his unsearchable 
wisdom. He was very wise to create you and rescue you and place you in your weakness exactly where you're at. He's wise. So be here, be now, because it's the only place where you can live into the significance. And finally, I gotta get scooting. Um, the means. I'm here, but how? How do I live into this significance? Well, what Paul says here is that you empty yourself to the point of death. See, Jesus the Christ establishes his kingdom through death and resurrection, and he will continue to do the same through us. And that means three things. Number one, as you empty yourself, humble yourself, your significance, the most significant things that you are a part of through Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ, it will feel very, very, very insignificant. Jesus became a servant, and so will you. It's gonna be just waking up in the middle of the night, feeding a baby, right? That's you life to that child. It's gonna be the way that you treat your server today uh, at lunch, with kindness, how you tip, morality. It's gonna be you slowing down, stopping your work, focusing on your child, listening to, to, to what's going on uh, with that, that little heart, that hurt soul, all insignificant things that Jesus will use for the advance of his kingdom. It's almost like the kingdom's like a mustard seed, right? The smallest of seeds that when you plant it in the ground, then it grows to be this tree that gives shelter to many. Guys, our significance are in the insignificant things because that's where Jesus is. And that's where his power works is the emptying of ourselves. The second thing that means too is uh, that it's going to be costly. It's gonna hurt. It's part of the reason why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> that, that we are gonna follow Jesus into his death because it's granted to us to suffer for the sake of Christ. And that pain and that suffering is gonna put us in a position, what? Of trust, of trust. That's exactly where your father desires you to be for the advance of his life-giving kingdom. God, I need you desperately, just as his son did. Just as his son who has rescued you, united himself to you, now wants to do through you, it's gonna hurt. But three, it will end in glory. Because God responded to the emptying, the humility of his son, who was his son, but also the perfect man in the way that he always responds to emptying and humility. It's to then respond in elevation. He lifts Jesus up to be the name above every name and we are in Christ and we are humans as Jesus was a human and as we empty ourselves before the goodness of our king, he will be faithful to Elevate because that's who he is. And by elevation, I'm not talking about any kind of this health and wealth junk. Like do something for Jesus and then you get a, like a, a Learjet or something. Ain't nobody flying private planes, okay? What I am talking about is the real, true, life-giving reward of the Father's elevation of us into union with his Son, Jesus, who is our living source of life and significance. 
for those of you who know Jesus, who follow Jesus, guys, how sweet is it to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That elevation is the way that Paul can say things ridiculous like, I don't know if I wanna live or die because to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says crazy things like, I want to know Jesus in his suffering. He says, look, I know what it means to be content in all circumstances because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Father will elevate you as we empty ourselves to give and to serve, leaning into our significance. Guys, Jesus is alive, present with you now and lives to give you the significance your soul is longing for. So what are we gonna do? Are we gonna believe that? Are we gonna take a look at the root or the fruit of our lives and chase it to the root? Where's their anxiety? Where are their broken relationships? Where, where's their bitterness or anger, disobedience? At the root, maybe as you're trying to use somebody, you're trying to use something for significance that you've already been given in infinite generosity for free we take this opportunity to turn away from that thing and turn to the living person of Christ now, starting now. And Jesus, moment by moment, day by day, will lead you by his gracious spirit into that significance for yourself and us together as a church family that we dream of. Guys, repent and be loved because Jesus has given you his significance. What is amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you, um, you are the king and you are the Christ. And everywhere you reign, there is life. And so Jesus, we need your help. We need your rescue because in our weakness, in our unbelief, Jesus, it is so hard to trust that your authority is better than our own wisdom. And so help us, Lord God, from the inside out. Help each of us uh, to set apart Jesus as Lord. Help us, God, to know what, what, where you are leading us uh, to participate in the life that you want to bring, the, the, the kingdom uh, that, that, that you uh, want to bring to yourself for the benefit of others. God, thank you for your grace to entrust such a mighty, incredible significance to such weak, unfaithful, uh, broken people as us. And I pray that we would just um, think with hilariousness today of how crazy it is that you have entrusted us um, with, with the sake of your mission. Help us all to live into that today, enjoy its reality, and grow from the day on to your glory and our joy. Amen.